Hello, my name is Ray Montgomery. I'd like to welcome you to the Navigating Blindness Podcast. And on this special edition of the Navigating Blindness Podcast, we have our employment services team with us today. We've got a great topic today. We're going to talk about something near and dear to a lot of blind individuals, transportation. And I wanted to get their opinions on transportation and hear some of the stories and some of the myths and facts about how people who are blind and visually impaired get back and forth to work. So before we get started with this great podcast, I want to uh, introduce our employment services staff. And first we have Christy Russell. How you doing, Christy? Hey, Ray. Good morning. Happy to be back. Right. Christy, can you tell us what you do here at Bosma? Absolutely. I am the manager of our adult and youth employment services program. So I oversee this amazing team. And in a very short version, uh, we are providing all things employment to uh, students who are in high school and thinking about transition, as well as our adults who are trying to return to work or may be working but having issues on their job as it relates to their vision loss and how to work with their employer to make sure that they have everything that they need, as well as we partner with companies to do education and awareness and really just kind of break down those barriers on how someone who has blind or low vision actually can do a job um, and that it's really not as hard as one may think. And I, I would say we're really just here to, to educate. That's a big part of what we do and what we love. Um, we know there's a lot of stigma and stereotype out there about how someone who is blind or has low vision really just does life in general, but even more so how they work. So uh, we we know a lot about employment and a lot about how to help people who are blind do so successfully. Right. We have Matt Edwards. How you doing, Matt? Good. Thanks for having me, Ray. What do you, what do, you do here at Bosma Center for Visionary Solutions? Uh, pretty much everything Christy just said and uh, just working with our adults on uh, getting uh, community employment. And next we have Natalie Weisenbach. How are you doing, Natalie? I'm great today, Ray. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. What do you do here at Bosma Center for Visionary Solutions? Uh, so I am an employment specialist doing the same thing that Matt and Christy are doing, uh, working with our adults and helping them find that gainful community-based employment. Uh, we help them navigate their benefits uh, through the benefit liaison program um, and also working with other employment specialist coaches and helping them just get into the field and helping to train them and, and feeling confident in working with other individuals who may not be in our program, but in their program, helping them uh, connect with those clients as well. Last but not least, Mr. Aaron C. What's going on, Aaron? Not too much, Ray. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. What do you do here at Bosma Center for Visionary Solutions? Yeah, so I'm the youth uh, coordinator. So like Christy said, I oversee all transition either to the next step of employment, you know, getting them connected with the rehab center or Natalie and uh, Matt, or I uh, help them get to the next step of college, transition them into um, that next step education. So that's kind of like, what do we do? And then also uh, currently gearing up to get our step program going for the summer. Uh, got a lot of kiddos that are interested selection process is coming out so all that's going to be rolling out in the next month or so 
Sounds good. Today we got a great show today. We're going to talk about transportation, uh, one of the biggest hurdles for people who are blind or visually impaired. And I want, I want to start with Aaron today because I know Aaron is uh, visually impaired himself. So Aaron, um, for those who don't know our employers that may be listening to us today that may ask, how does a person who is blind, how will this person get back and forth to work? How, how, how do you get back and forth to work? just depends on you know the day you know some days i'm riding with uh my significant other jessica some days it's it's an uber it's a lift um not so much on the buses or using open door i'm kind of a weird person when it comes to that but i know that is definitely um something that a lot of individuals use uh individuals use in the community but i i really like the uber i, I like the transportation i feel you know very important when i'm in the back seat you know, I feel like I'm getting escorted like a president or something. So uh, that's a good feeling for me. But yeah, just utilizing, you know, the people around you sometimes. And then, yeah, Uber and Lyft. Nowadays, I've been told it's just so easy. Then, you know, back back before the ADA and having to print out MapQuest and trying to find a bus line that runs there to your employer and uh, all that craziness. So uh, you guys can keep that before the ADA and before Uber and Lyft were a thing. So. So uh, let's jump back. This question is for the entire group right here. Um, is it legal for a uh, employer to ask, how does a person get back and forth to work? Uh, I would I would guess so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's probably, you know, uh, along the lines of question, you know, do you have a driver's license, stuff like that. I mean, we see that descriptions themselves. So uh, I don't, I I. Pretty for sure, people have been asked that in interviews that I've sat in, and uh, because it it really doesn't deal with a disability, I don't think. This is only my opinion, sorry. Um, but you know, I could be asked that question if I was being interviewed, and I wouldn't think of anything of it. You know, I think um, I think it's what it goes back to when we say, "Is it legal?" Right that. If that employer is asking that question of every single person they interview, then yeah, you know, then you're good because it's a standard question. Everybody's getting it. There's no room for quote unquote uh, discrimination, right? It's a standard question that everybody's getting. Um, and I think if it even more so, if the nature of the job involves driving, um, then yes, I think it makes sense that they're going to ask about that. So for example, a sales job or a pharmaceutical rep where the, you know, the, the individual is going to be on the road 90, probably percent of their time. Um, so that is a realistic question to ask because it's a component of the job. It's a requirement of the job. Um, but I think it can get into that gray area. Like Matt said, just my opinion, it's gray if the individual who is doing the interview maybe notices the white cane or has some sort of indicator that this person is visually impaired on some level and they only ask it to that person. To me, I think that's gray. Um, and I would have to question, you know, like why, but that would be my two cents. I think legality, it's gotta be asked of everybody. Um, but I also think it's completely acceptable if, there's a concern because driving or transportation is a part of that job. It's a requirement. So do you think that sometimes when you look at an application, it says uh, you must have a license to drive? Because I know sometimes in Aaron's situation, he's always out of the community. 
me myself, I'm always out in the community. So you think sometimes that kind of uh, deters a person from applying for that job, even though they know they can get around? I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one, Christy. I was gonna smile because I'm thinking this is Natalie's Natalie's forte. She loves this question. <laughs> this one it, it this one really is one of my biggest pet peeves. And probably when I when employers start talking about applications, this is one question I would say, just take it off. Right. It's not necessary for you to have a driver's license on your application process because most people are going to apply for a position knowing that there's travel involved and they already have a travel plan put in place for that. Right. Uh, Aaron, not to steal your thunder with this, but he's a great example. Aaron has to be out in the community. He doesn't drive due to his vision loss. But he doesn't have any issues getting around in the community. That wasn't a question that had to be asked in the interview process for him. Because if you're going to apply for the job, you already have a plan. Right now, if somebody were to walk in and be like, oh, I'm surprised this is more travel than I thought it was, then that's a separate conversation. Right. Um, but I think that that question to me really just weeds out so many individuals. And I tell clients, if you have a state ID, put that number in there, right? And get past that piece because we're going to discuss that transportation piece when we're in the interview, right? If, because we already have formulated our plan together. Um, and so that's, oh, yes, I I have clients all the time like, well, they're asking for an ID or, you know, driver's license number. So I didn't apply, but I met every other piece of criteria for this position, Go back and apply to that job. Absolutely. Well, and I would I would add to that that the nature of all of our positions is to some degree remote in that we should be in the community. Um, we need to be familiar with the areas in which our clients live in um, because obviously transportation is going to be the number one concern. Can they get to a bus stop safely? Are there sidewalks? Are there not? Um, it's important for us to be very aware and learn their environment. So we're away from the office more than we're in. I always joke if I saw them in the if I saw my team in the office every day, I'd worry <laughs> that we're not we're not serving people, right? Um, but that was discussed in terms of this is what's necessary for this position. Um, and whether that's our adult employment role or in in Aaron's case, the youth employment role, you know, the nature of that position is it's right in the job description that this is a position where travel is required. Now in any of their interviews, and even from personal experience in roles I've had, no one's ever asked me, and even today, nobody asks me how I get to work. I'm just expected to be there on time to do my job. <laughs> Nobody's like, okay, right. Christy, are you coming by bus? Are you coming uh, by Uber or Lyft? Are you driving your own personal vehicle? Um, are you driving your husband's truck today or your own truck? You know, like, Nobody's asking me how, but I'm expected to perform the duties of my job. And it's very similar with Aaron. You know, Aaron, Aaron, please speak up. I I didn't come out like, oh, Aaron, this is going to be remote. Now, how are you going to get to all the schools? No, I mean, it was a standard. He applied for the job. It's in the job description that travel is going to be a big component of this role. So he was already aware of that coming in. It wasn't. <clears throat> It didn't need me to go a step further to then confirm how he was going to get to all these schools. It was already set up as an expectation. 
But do you yeah, think like people from the outside, you know, may have more questions? I know we we here at Boston, we know about transportation, but do you think people that's just unaware may have more questions about transportation than us that work with people who are blind? Yeah, I I mean when it comes down to it, I think it's just, you know, a foreign thing for some people that have, you know, are not good travelers or haven't traveled in the past. Um, and I think Christy was hitting it right on the head there. I think it's how the question's asked, you know, I've never been asked, you know, if, if I went to an interview and they were like, well, how'd you get here today? I would almost see that as offensive. Um, that would probably be my first turnoff of me wanting to work for that company. Uh, I'm not desperate for a job. I've never been desperate. Um, I, I like a job that's going to be a good fit. So I think it's how it's presented. The question, yeah, I'm with Natalie. I don't, I don't think it's relevant um, when it's an interview. I've worked in HR. I just don't think it's a relevant question uh, nowadays with so much public access and transportation and all kinds of different areas of transportation. So, but I think it's how it's asked from the, you know, recruiter or talent acquisition or whoever's, you know, conducting that interview. So, um, but yeah, I, I've never been asked that question, but I've only had a couple of interviews. I, I haven't had an interview where I have a cane. So, um, I had a little bit more vision when Chrissy, uh, brought me onto the team. So maybe if I ever move on, um, I'll get that question when I walk in with old faithful, my, my cane. So I don't know. So how much, um, does having good orientation and mobility skills play a role in a person who is blind being successful, uh, on the job site? I think it's beneficial. I mean, it shows, you know, a good deal of independence when you can walk in and you don't, you know, walk into the door, um, you know, your pace and your orientation is pretty good. You can find the desk. It, it kind of shows, um, and Natalie and Matt can uh, attest to this, you know, I feel like when you get out of the car, you're being watched. Eyes are always on you when you're in the interview process uh, from the time you get out of the car until the time the interview's over and you leave. Um, so I think it just shows a little bit of comfortability for the company or their employer that's, you know, potentially going to give you an opportunity um, as well as it just, you know, makes you look better. So you're not, you know, walking around, uh, just kind of wandering. You're there for, for an interview. So this is professional. So do our employment service team help people navigate their new surroundings once they find gainful employment? Do you help them, you know, or do you bring in someone from bottom or farther or them instructor to come in and help them orientate themselves to their new surroundings? Uh, there's usually a, a period of time, like before uh, we can get like an O&M instructor approved and um, brought into a job site. So uh, typically if somebody wants me on their job site or they need me for that purpose, I mean, that's, I've given lots of, unprofessional O&M lessons on uh, job sites. And usually, you know, I mean, sometimes it can be a week or two or more than that before they can get proper O&M training, you know, approved and, and through. And usually by that time, we, you know, we have them trained <laughs> how to get to their work area and to the bathroom, break room, whatever. Uh, that's That's usually been the case for me, you know, just uh, going through some repetitions like that, uh, and even pertaining to transportation, uh, same thing, you know, if we need to practice walking out to the bus stop or uh, whatever, whatever that kind of looks like, um, you know, again, uh, I've given plenty of 
unprofessional lessons. So what about like if a person has a guide dog? Is there any type of rules to guide dogs in the office or do you get any pushback if a person has, you know, a guide dog? You know, I haven't had a whole lot of pushback with guide dogs uh, in the office setting. Um, I've worked with production companies that have, you know, how do we make this work? And just having that conversation uh, and the understanding of, you know, space and where where the dog can be and can't be. Um, you know, obviously an office setting is typically a little a little easier, right, than a than an assembly line or something like that. Um, but even with assembly lines, I've had companies are like, oh yeah, no, there's space here. We'll just make sure that the dog has a space to fit, uh, to be in, you know, uh, we'll most of the time clients that use a guide dog already are thinking about that scheduling process. Okay. On my lunch break, I'm going to have to use part of my lunch break, um, to, to be able to take my guide dog out, uh, or, you know, my 15 minute break, however, that's going to work. Um, and sometimes, you know, we have to ask the employer, Hey, we need to make some exceptions to break times, maybe adjust that, you know, here or there, but that I haven't run into too many issues where employers are like, no way I can't have that. Um, and I think probably because most people are like, Oh, it's a dog, right? Like we want a dog in our workspace and we love animals. Uh, and I think more of the thing that I have to work with is reminding people that, when a dog is working, you know, it's not a pet. <laughs> you can't just pet a dog. You need to talk to, you know, the owner and and figure out what, what their preferences are for their, for their guide dog, because that, that dog is working and it's important that they remain working for the safety um, of, of its owner. Yeah. I, I thought it was important to bring up guide dog. Cause that's a big part of transportation for some of us. Uh, in the blind community who travel independently and, you know, get around uh, from A to B. So just wanted to touch bases on that real quick so people can know about what a guide dog's purpose is. And uh, when they're in the office, they're not barking and making all type of noise. They're probably the most trained yeah. an animals there is. So. I will, I will say, Ray, there have been times that I forget that somebody has a guide dog, you know, because the dog is so quiet and still, and it, it almost startles me that I'm like, oh yeah, you have a dog, right? Like when I just happened to right. catch the, catch maybe, you know, a, a movement out of the corner of my eye, like, oh yeah, there's, there's another animal in here. Um, but no, you're right. They, they aren't barking. They're not running around. They're not trying to, you know, sniff you all over the place. They're working. These are these are dogs that have been trained to be a guide dog. They have been trained uh, while they're working that it's not playtime. It is time for them to, you know, help their owner navigate their space. Um, you know, there's a very long process for these dogs to go through training uh, and, and for the individual to also go through training with their guide dog to be able to navigate safely in that workspace or out in the community. Um, so this isn't just like, Hey, I went to the pet store, got a dog, or, you know, I went to the shelter and got a dog and I put a vest, you know, a harness on it. And, you know, we're just kind of out here winging it. This is a highly trained animal that is, is working. Um, right. And so in the workspace, it, no, they are, they're all business. Now, when the harness comes off, 
you know, that's a totally different story. And, you know, around the office, Matt is known as the treat guy because he normally has treats <laughs> in his office for the guide dogs that come around here. And, you know, and with, you know, we got some wagon tails going on and pets happening and that's great. But we know that when that harness is on, it's all business. Put your gears a little bit. So how has um, remote work increased job opportunities for uh, people who are blind? Um, well, I don't think, only my opinion here, but I don't think it has. I think uh, a lot of I, I have a few people that are looking for remote work, and these are people that I've been struggling with. Uh, most of all, um, I really think we're kind of moving back, you know, back into the office these days. And, uh, you know, we Natalie and I do reading and we try to keep up on employment trends and stuff like that. And that's exactly what I'm reading, too. You know, it's uh if you're lucky you can get sort of a hybrid you know thing which is is pretty popular these days including us right here um but i think the full-time or the the solely remote jobs that's what i'm struggling with with most most of all honestly i would agree i think there's a lot of misperception um about what remote work really is even with our clients, we get this question a lot that remote work is is not just you work from home and it allows you to have your kids there or still be able to tend to other needs. Um, that That's not what it is. Um, we also see with remote work, there's still going to be some components that you need to go in person for, especially if you're a new employee. New employees need to be trained. New employees are expected to go through orientation just like anyone else, even if they're remote. So while your home base might be your home office, you're still going to be expected to come in for various things, whether it's trainings or staff meetings, uh, company-wide events, stuff of that nature. So there's really not a true 100% remote type position. I mean, I'm sure there are some that exist, but I think there's still a lot of education that needs to go out. We work with this a lot with our clients and even individuals who are in our vision rehab program. A lot of them will ask us, well, you know, I just, I want to work remote. I think some of it could be fear. They're fearful of returning to work still. They're comfortable in their home. Um, but we have to all do our job of really being clear about what remote work really is. You're still on a schedule. You still need to be available during your company's business hours. You are not just hanging out at home and working when you feel like it. You know, you still have the same demands and expectations as you would in the building. I think for our particular individuals who are visually impaired, most likely if their position is requiring a computer, which I'd have to assume they would be if they're in a remote type situation, um, they need to be good computer users and they need to be pretty well versed at troubleshooting computer issues. Your IT department is not going to be down the hall in the other bedroom <laughs> as they would be in the office, you know, or you can call in and they can come over and look at what's going on. So you've got to be at a certain skill level, I think, to be successful in working from home. And I think companies are realizing that this can be an incentive to almost like promote or offer a benefit to a, an employee to be able to work from home. Um, but I think there's still a lot of education that needs to be done in this area. And I agree with Matt that it's just not 
it's not what it was during COVID. And I think a lot of people still have that in their mind that that's what it's going to be like, that everybody's at home and everybody's working from home. Um, but it is an interesting trend to follow now that we're technically three years post the quarantine period. But I mean, discipline when you work from home. I know exactly. That. Exactly. And so honestly, I think sometimes I'm busier on the days from home than I yeah. am in the office. Just because you don't have the extra distractions, but at the same time, your phone is still ringing. You're still having to follow up. You're still having to get things done and completed and turned in on time. You know, your duties and your expectations don't change um, just Very because kind of your, your environment. Fun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, remote work is great, but it, it, um, we do offer the uh, Salesforce training program right now. I just want to touch bases on that. And that's um, an opportunity for individuals who are blind to become Salesforce administrators. That's a great program. We're about to uh, roll back out again. Anyone interested, they can learn more at Boston.org. Uh, but that's a great opportunity to work remote as well. Um, so what, what opportunities or what uh, transportation um, is available for people who are blind or for employees who may not know? I mean, I know we got Uber and Lyft, but are there any other options for people to get back and forth to work? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different options, right? We have Uber and Lyft. We have the city bus uh, fixed routes. There's open door. Um, you know, I encourage ride sharing as well for individuals. Um, you know, I I think transportation is one that that you constantly have to get creative with. And in most of our clients, we talk about having plan A, B, C, and D um, because, you know, transportation is fickle. It's fickle for anybody who is, who was not visually impaired, right? Uh, thinking about Aaron's story today about a, a blown tire on the interstate that he had to change and, you know, I, a parking ticket that I've had recently. Um, so I think there's always challenges with transportation, no matter who you are. Um, but, you know, somebody who is blind or visually impaired is really thinking about, okay, if I'm using open door and they're scheduled and something happens with that and they're running late, my next option would be uh, maybe taking the fixed route um, or having a backup Uber plan, or, um, you know, maybe I'm using um, the, the taxi services available through um, Indigo open door services, right? So there's a lot of different options that people can use to get to and from work. Um, you know, I know for me, I know that I have a backup plan. If I get up in the morning and, and my van doesn't start for whatever reason, or I have a flat tire or whatever's going to happen, you know, I have, I have two additional plans so that I know that I can get to work on time and get my kids to school. Um, so I think that's very similar with our clients as well in having that plan prepared for them. Any, any last and final words you would like to say uh, to employers who uh, question how a person who is blind, you know, travels back and forth or how would they get it back? How would they get um, into the office every day? So any last words you'd like to say? I want to talk about um, just real quick when it comes to using like Uber and Lyft. I know there's this, you know, big, you know, people are concerned about safety. You know, are they going to take me to the right location? I'm blind. I can't, you know, tell um, marks of where to go. Um, just kind of a tidbit that I do when I'm in the back of an Uber, I'll just pull it up on my phone and Google maps and I'll just follow along, uh, to make sure, you know, they are taking the right turn at this point. Um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, whatever 
Rex or whatever, but there's all applications you can use um, that will give you directions. You know, you got Waze, you got the Apple Maps, the Google Maps. Um, it's just a good way to follow along as a safety precaution uh, with using those apps and those ride sharing um, applications. So I know that's just kind of a thing that I talk to with my students a lot. They ask me all the time, like, well, don't you get scared? How do you know you're not going to get, you know, kidnapped? And I'm like, well, first of all, um, almost you know, six, one, 200 pounds. So if they kidnap me, they're going to learn real fast. I eat way too much food and they're going to bring me back. So, um, that's the first thing I know they're not going to kidnap me, but if I ever get in a situation where I am a little uncomfortable, I'll just pull it up on my phone. You know, I can alert people, you know, I text, you know, family members and be like, Hey, you know, I'm leaving this. If I'm not home in 20 minutes, um, and you don't hear from me, something might've happened. So like Natalie said, just having that, that contingency plan, um, just being organized and prepared for, you know, the, you know, expect the worst, here. prepare for the best. So, I'm glad you brought that up. That safety, that that is a good uh, concern right there. Safety, um, using that app to track, you know, where you're going. You could always, uh, you know, say, hey, give me directions to my home. You know, prior to getting into the Uber I lift, because I don't let them know that I'm tracking them. And you could also share yeah. your location with your family on your phone too. The smartphone is a great yep. device right there. You can share your location so. You know, let people know that you're on your way and you should be getting there so you can share your location. There's multiple things you could do with a smartphone. That's a great, great point right there. Yeah. And I'll also, you know, just add a comment that says, you know, do you have any pickup information? And I'll just be ex the, the most descriptive I can be, you know. Uh, I'll be outside to the right of this tower um, with a black shirt on, with a vision cane. I'll be out front. Uh, just, you know, so there's not such a... Uh, you know, question mark if, if they're pulling up or if I'm not out there in enough time trying to find them, if, you know, I can't see them. So uh, just, you know, helping them out to the point of, you know, that's a safety thing for me. You know, if they come up and they don't know my name, you know, probably, you know, look at the app. My name's right there. So um, making sure I know the driver's name. So I'll say, are you looking for Aaron? Is this Adam? You know, just, you know, checking all the boxes when I'm getting picked up by, you know, someone that I don't know. You know, I think the only thing I would add with transportation, especially for an employer, is, you know, thinking about how you can approach transportation as a company, right? Uh, do you have a bus stop in front of your building? Where's your nearest bus stop? Do you have sidewalks? Are those things that you can maybe advocate for uh, to having one added to to your company a stop? Is your, is your employee um, workforce that large? Uh, guaranteed, if somebody who's blind or visually impaired is using that, you probably have several other people on, in your workforce who are using the same modes of transportation. Um, I, You guys are going to hear me say it a lot on this podcast, right? Universal accommodations are good for everybody in your workforce, not just for somebody who has a disability. Um, and so... I encourage employers to get creative with things. You know, can you start a rideshare program in your organization where you're connecting employees who live on the same tide of town together to say, hey, you know, there's a couple of you. Do you mind ride sharing? You know, um, just finding those little ways to connect your your workforce to better transportation. Uh, I don't think transportation is just an issue for people who have disabilities. I think it's a very big thing, especially in our city, because um, we are a large city, right? We're, we are very sprawled out. People are coming from various sides of town. Um, and there are lots of transportation challenges out there. Um, so, you know, 
I think if you can come up with some creative solutions, it's not just good for your people with disabilities. You're, you're going to overall help your own um, Collins, your own Tardies uh, throughout your entire workforce and, and continue to increase your production. Uh, I, we all get stuck in the, in the, well, this is how we've always done it. This is how it is. Um, this is one area that I think, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for those companies to really come with the innovation uh, with their transportation plans for their employees. So there's a solution out there. I, I, and I'm thinking for the listener who just heard Natalie say that, who's an employer saying, well, what does that mean to get creative? I don't know what that would look like. And what came to my mind is, yes, there's a lot of employment opportunities in the city, right? In Marion County, easy transportation. A lot of people move closer to Indy for that reason. But what we're also seeing is a trend here in our more rural areas of all these companies coming to Indiana um, and building their warehouses. And then you'll see it advertised on the news of, oh, so-and-so is coming and it's going to be 200 more jobs for people in Indiana. But where, where are these factories? Where are these warehouses? They're in the rural counties where there's no transportation. Mm-hmm. And then you have people with disabilities that live in rural counties. Not everybody with disabilities lives in Marion County. Um, mm-hmm. And they are looking for work. And these are qualified people, but they cannot access employment because there is no transportation. And so one thing that a company did um, on the West side was they knew this would be a barrier and they were willing to be creative in terms of transportation. And this benefits not only their individuals who are living with a disability, but it, it, it benefited a lot of people. And they were able to be attractive as an employer because what they did was they, as a company, they invested in some vans and that van rotates kind of like the airport, the shuttle service. It operates, you know, every so many minutes or what, whatnot, it drives to the closest bus stop that drops off as, you know, within a certain range of their building. Because the problem is the city bus will only go so far because this lies in another county. So they invested in vehicles, vans, to then go on a regular rotation. They've learned the bus schedule. And then they go and have that shuttle ready for their employees. And it's like, that's creative. So yeah, is it an expense because you're going to hire, you know, buy vehicles? Absolutely. But in the long run, you're getting more employees because people can get to you. They can get to your work. And that sends a message to the employee that they really care, that they were willing to figure out how to overcome that barrier and help get employees to their location. So that's one example that came to mind when Natalie said that, because I could I could see where an employer might hear this and say, well, I don't know what that means to be creative. But, you know, it is frustrating for us in the employment world that work with people with disabilities, because it's exciting to hear that these companies are coming to Indiana. And that's a wonderful thing for our economy. But then they advertise how many jobs are available. And, we're, and that's even more wonderful. But then we look at the location and we say, but people can't get to them. So how are we helping? How are we helping the unemployment rate for people with disabilities when they can't access these opportunities? So I'd love to see our community and our city and our state look at those options as well. That's that's what I would add to the, the conversation. It was always a great conversation with our employment services team. 
any uh, events coming up, anything uh, you guys got coming up uh, at our Center for Visionary Solutions, Christy? Not off the top of my head. I will okay. say um, stay tuned to uh, we're going to be announcing a way for other individuals to who are blind or low vision, living with blindness or have low vision to engage with our team for some training. Uh, we're going to be announcing that probably in May, uh, but we're really excited to to be opening up some opportunities that have historically always just been for the clients in our program. And uh, we, we, I don't want to say too much because it's going to be exciting, but for anyone listening um, to our podcast, no matter where you are, if you are blind or have low vision and you are looking for employment, uh, you want to stay tuned because we're gonna we're gonna be sharing some a cool opportunity to engage with our team. If they want to contact you or the center, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. So you can send me an email. Uh, my email is Christy R at Bosma.org. And that's K-R-I-S-T-Y-R at B-O-S-M-A dot O-R-G. And call me directly. I love to talk to everybody and answer questions. My direct line is 317-704-8250. And as always, you can find information about all of our programs here in Employment Services, as well as the full center at www.bosma.org backslash center. Good. And once again, make sure you subscribe to the Navigating Blindness podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and make sure you're following Bob on all social media platforms. And once again, I thank the ES team, and I'll talk to you guys next week.